For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. That is Psalm 3728. Welcome to the Heart of Flesh podcast. I'm Jackson Hankey. I'm here with my friend James Kayser. Uh, and we are going to be moving on to, well, probably the last couple episodes uh, in this series we've been doing on the doctrines of grace. Yep. We're on to the final letter of our acronym, of the TULIP acronym, which is the Perseverance of the Saints. Uh, that's why I opened with that psalm. Um, and if you've been with us, uh, you know, th- this has been hopefully kind of fun. Hopefully it's been helpful. Um, we've talked about a lot of things and a lot of scriptures. Um, one thing that we finally did do, which we've mentioned for Let's the last go. couple episodes, uh, is we did set up uh, a way for listeners to ask us questions. And when we're done with this, I think we're going to do, do two episodes on this topic. Yeah. And then we're going to be done with uh, this kind of short series we've been doing. Um, but we want to, you know, and hopefully if you guys have some questions, you can send them in. And we want to maybe take an episode to answer some of those uh, at the end. So we're going to do this episode, another episode on this, and then hopefully set, set apart an episode for uh, kind of a bit of a Q&A. So what we're going to do is I will put a link in the description. We haven't done this, so we're hoping it's going to work well. But I'll put a link in the description where you can click on uh, and you can ask basically any question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to ask a challenging question or uh, just a further explanation of something, we, we welcome those things and we're going to try to get to them. If yep. you want to leave your name, you can. Uh, if you want to be anonymous, that's fine too. James, yeah, I was gonna just going to say, yeah, rebuttals with scripture, um, any comments or questions, uh, even future series ideas, if you guys have any that uh, you think would be really beneficial for us to, to talk mm-hmm. about, to dig into. Uh, again, it's anonymous if you'd like it to be. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have some ideas, but we're not we're not 100% sure exactly what we're going to do after this. So, if you guys have strong opinions or you want to hear something, we would be more than willing to yeah. consider those. So we'll jump into the episode today. Uh, yep, back in the lab, aka the children's classroom at River City <laughs> Church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's our <laughs> studio for the moment. Um, uh. Yeah. So how we're going to set this up is we're going to c- probably take a similar format to what we've done. We're going to try to give a bit of a definition of the perseverance of the saints. Uh, we're going to try to defend it a bit from Scripture, and then hopefully get to some more practical applications of what this looks like, what it means, kind of stuff like that. And then in the next episode, hopefully we're going to look at some some passages uh, which are often at least pointed to as possible rebuttals of this doctrine. We're going to address those, address, address some, maybe the more common <laughs> objections as well. So as we get into it, um, just a, a, a definition. I'll give you a definition off the top of my head, and then I'll, I'll use one that's a reference as well. Uh, so a definition off the top of my head is that the perseverance of the saints is basically the doctrine that all who have been elected and effectually called by God to salvation will be persevered by the power of God um, to, to the end of life and, and to their final and full salvation and glorification. So if you've listened to the last episodes, we've talked about uh, the doctrine of election. We've talked about um, irresistible grace or effectual calling. Um, And we've talked about, well, really, perseverance of the saints is implied in those and an outworking of them, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So basically the idea is that 
the true Christian will be persevered until the end of their lives and, and will reach salvation. Um, yeah, y- you cannot be saved or, or have uh, the, the status of salvation or justification um, and then lose that or fall from that. Now, throughout church history, that's been a debated doctrine. Uh, around the time of the Reformation, the Council of Trent in 1546, uh, a, a council of the Catholic Church, re- rejected this doctrine and, and opposed it. There are some in the Arminian circles that still do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Remonstrance, which we mentioned very early, the, the five... Um, the five points of Arminianism essentially is what they were. Yeah. Uh, they, they held that they were originally uncertain as to whether uh, this doctrine was true or not. Uh, but in the Reformed tradition and even in some Arminian circles today, uh, people will hold to this doctrine or a form of it. Mm-hmm. And we are going to defend it from Scripture. But that that's a definition off the top yeah. of my head. I'm going to give you sim- another simple one. Just one. Just like once saved, always saved, we would say. Yeah. And this is one of the most beautiful doctrines that you'll that you'll see. And I think it's easy to be like, oh, well, you're just kind of making that up because it sounds nice to be like, oh, well, I'm saved till the end now. But uh, I think as we go through the scriptures, you guys will really see that it's just evident there. And we hope that um, laying this out for you brings you to worship today. Um, as you continue to search the scriptures and, and wrestle through this stuff. So you have a formal definition. Yeah, I'm going to give another definition cool. that I like uh, from Wayne Grudem uh, from his Systematic Theology book. He says this, The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives, and that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. So you see in that definition, and I think this is really important, um, we have to consider, first of all, what does it mean to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, this doctrine is basically saying that if you are a Christian, you will be persevered to the end. It is not saying that everyone who professes to be a Christian will be saved. Uh, it is not saying that er- everyone who goes to a certain church will be saved, anything like that. But all who have been born again, or as we've used this term before and, and, and is used in the Bible, all who have been regenerated mm-hmm. by the Spirit of God, who have been given a new nature, uh, that, that is that is the biblically the definition of what it what it essentially means to be a Christian is to have this work of the Spirit to be effectually called uh, into salvation and, and to be given a new nature by God's Spirit. All who have had that happen will be persevered until the end. And the evidence, the evidence that that, that is a reality, one, is the way that you live your life, mm-hmm. uh, but also that, that you continue in the faith until death. So part of Grudem's definition, the, the back half of it, carries with it the idea that, that if you do not persevere until the end, it is a sign that you were never actually regenerated in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and we see this we see this in the Bible. We're not going to probably cover a lot of passages regarding it today, but it, it is it is not an uncommon thing. There is a biblical category for people who profess to be Christian, and even and this is maybe the 
uh, the harder part to to grapple with. But there are there are even people who seem to give outward evidence of Christian mm-hmm. faith who will a- and do fall away. Uh, but what this is saying is that those people were never actually regenerated in the first place, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. They they weren't actually. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Judas. Yeah, and, and a that's a prime example, example of that. So yeah, there is a category in the Bible of of people as, as such, like Judas. Um, you think of the parable of the sowers um, that Jesus talks about. So we should probably explain the doctrine because yeah. we're already going into Well, that's a good point. The, the parable <laughs> of the sowers, yeah. you just have that idea of, uh, it's in Matthew 13, I believe, but uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, and it's like a man sowing seed in a field, and mm-hmm. uh, there's four different groups, w- which are people, um, and, the, and the soils are representing people. Uh, but some lands on one type of soil and it gets burned up. It doesn't grow. Some lands in the thorns and it, it gets choked out. And uh, it says that there's one that initially it sprouts up. And Jesus compares this to people who initially they receive the word of God with joy. And it, and it seems to be bearing fruit in their lives. But then he says uh, that they had shallow roots and the sun comes along and scorches them. And then when he explains it, the idea basically is that the, the cares of this world or um, s- the, the pressures and the cares of this world choke out the fruit that's being born. But then the last category he gives is the good soil where the seed lands on that soil and it mm-hmm. produces 30 times and 60 times and 100 times. So there is a category there for what seems to be like a positive response to the gospel what seems to be like a bearing of fruit that eventually falls away. Mm-hmm. So we are not, yeah, essentially we just want to make that distinction that what we're talking about here uh, is where the Spirit of God is actually working, uh, where regeneration has actually happened. Those people will be kept by the power of God to salvation and and cannot lose their salvation mm-hmm. as well. That, that's kind of the idea. So uh, now we want to go to uh, some passages of scripture that are going to demonstrate that a bit. Um, we've we've talked about about some of these previously. You you'd notice there's probably some overlap. Uh, that's okay. I, I hope that with repetition these passages become begin to become really familiar. Um, so I'm going to start in John six, and we've read this a bit before. Um, but verse thirty eight: For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the verse there that we're really pinpointing is uh, verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now, one important thing that I want us to think about when we talk about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is um, what we're saying here is not that us by our own strength or by our own power are going to persevere in the faith until the end. Mm. But what we are saying is that by the power of God, uh, he will ensure that this happens. And as that, as that passage makes known, uh, the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So again, we have this picture, and we've mentioned this before, but again, we have a picture of the Father giving a people to the Son. So we have a, a Trinitarian view of salvation. 
and that the will of the Father and the will of the Son working together is that the Son shall lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. So when we think about the perseverance of the saints, I think it's important that we aren't looking inwardly at our own ability to persevere, but also that we're looking outwardly at Christ and outwardly at uh, the Holy Spirit and their work in us to persevere us. Yeah, I feel like it's a good time to share this little, it's a little bit of a longer quote by by R.C. Sproul, uh, a famous Reformed theologian. Um, But he says, I think this little catchphrase, perseverance of the saints, is dangerously misleading. It suggests that the perseverance is something that we do, perhaps in and of ourselves. I believe that saints do persevere in the faith and that those who have been effectually called by God have been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit and endure to the end. However, their perseverance is not because they are so diligent in making use of the mercies of God. The only reason we can give why any of us continue on in the faith is because we have been uh, preserved. So I prefer the term preservation of the saints. So he's changing it, which we've already changed a few of the names. So (laughs) maybe we can change this one. So he says, so I prefer the term Preservation of the saints because the process by which we are kept in a state of grace is something that is accomplished by God. My confidence in my preservation is not in my own ability to persevere. My confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain me with his grace and by his power of his intercession. He is going to bring us safely home. Yep. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's wonderful. I think we have this notion sometimes, Mm -hmm. uh, and and we've been really clear about this on, on this podcast, but we have this notion that maybe we we start with grace, and that's kind of how we get in the door. Yeah, that's good. God is gracious to to save us, um, and th- and that is His grace, and that's how we kind of get in the door. But then uh, after we have experienced His grace, we can tend to lose sight of God's grace for us, and we may think that it is something to get us in the door. But Preach. after we're in the door, it's it's kind of up to us. Yeah, and that's true. We are we are called to be faithful uh, with all that God has given us. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that that even our perseverance, even uh, the Christian life that we live after being converted is a work of God's grace Holy in by us. Grace. Yeah. yeah, it's it's completely a work of God's grace in us. Uh, you know, after I was reading that passage in John 6, where Jesus says, all that the Father has given me will come to me. Actually, that, that's not even the one I referenced. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to go back. It says, it, it is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So again, you have this picture of God the Father uh, giving a people to the Son. And it, it made me think of Psalm 2. And if you're familiar with Psalm 2, it's a messianic psalm. Uh, verse 7 in Psalm 2 is very often quoted in the New Testament with reference to Jesus. But it says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So that's oftentimes quoted at Jesus' baptism. And because this is a messianic psalm, it's often viewed as speaking about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. But it's the next verse that I really want to focus on. It says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So the idea here is that we see Jesus basically being installed as the Messiah as the messianic king in the New Testament, as the heir to the Old Testament throne of David. It belongs to him. Uh, the person of David and that, that office of king pointed to him. But here in this, 
we see, and it, and it actually, like, when, when you read it, it, it becomes clear it's a promise of God, the Father, to the Messianic King, which, which is Jesus, saying, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So when we think about the gospel and when we think about salvation, we must begin with God. We must begin with God, and we must begin with uh, God's plan to bring about salvation. And you see here that between the Father and the Son, uh, there, there is a promise of giving the nations as an inheritance to the person of Jesus, to the Messianic King, and to make the ends of the earth his possession. Yeah, and then you see that showing up back in, or in the, in the back of your Bible in Revelation, that you see the fulfillment of y- that. Yes, you, you see every that tongue, tribe, and nation is going to be there, and there's a particularity to it, and um, that God is going to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and that like, He has His people in mind, and He knows where they're from yeah. and who He's going to save. And and, and that is, is like, something, really, that is something yeah. that <clears throat> is the rightful possession and inheritance and inheritance of Christ. Yeah, a- as the Messiah, that is something that rightfully belongs to him and that is something that he rightfully will receive yeah and you can see it pointing back to like the i think we've mentioned it before the covenant of redemption and that essentially just means god eh, father son and spirit made a plan and mm-hmm. that the father appointed who he was going to save the nations the son is the one who accomplishes it and the spirit is the one who applies it and there's particularity in that in god's plan of salvation yep yeah and i just and the point of all that, like we, we do want to emphasize that like to, to Christians that, that it's important that we work out our salvation, that we uh, exercise faith in Christ, that yeah. we do all of these things. But as much as we do that, as much as we recognize our responsibility to godly living and to growth and holiness, as much as we do that, we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and to look at God. And when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the gospel, we need to begin with God and, and what he's doing. Yep. All right, and that, and that's that's tied into this whole question. Um, Get more to the applications at the end. Keep yep. going through some scriptures. Yep. Sorry, maybe I got a bit off topic there. But uh, we'll go to another that's scripture. What we're going it's, for. Yeah, it's <laughs> in John chapter 10. And again, we've been to this one too. But I'm going to read it again. John chapter 10, starting in verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. You don't believe because you were not among my sheep. Uh, here we go, my, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So again, a picture of the Father giving to the people of giving to the Son of people, <coughs> and Jesus saying, I, I give those people eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now I want you to picture in your mind, and, and sometimes I, I explain this to people. I, I have a wedding ring, but I take it off, and you can picture this. I have a wedding ring and I take it off and I clasp it in my hand tightly so that you can't even see it. And really, the picture here is, is you could think of, uh, metaphorically, the hand of God and and, and uh, the, the Christian actually being held within it. 
So if you're picturing this, uh, you know, we're sitting here and I have my ring in my hand uh, and James, you're across from me. You can't see it. No. But what would you have to go through in order to touch this ring in my hand? I guess I'd have to take you down and try to get in that <laughs> hand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you would have to go through me. Yeah. So there's n- there, there's there's no way uh, or, or you could say in order to get to this ring, you would have to go through my hand. Yeah. And the, uh, the illustration here, the analogy is that the one who's holding us in his hand is God himself. Now, there was there is no one and nothing that is able to reach into the father's hand and to take what is rightfully his if that makes sense i want you to to think of that illustration there is nothing that's really good powerful enough nothing that is able to reach into the father's hand and do that i feel like that transitions nice into romans 8 yeah romans 8 all right so the next passage very similar um but you know we mentioned this one uh the golden chain of salvation but really i want to look at the part after that so in Romans 8.30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. We've talked about that before. Uh, there is an unbreakable chain between predestination that goes all the way through glorification. Glorification is just the final state of our salvation. Mm-hmm. Glorification is uh, the word to describe what will finally happen to us when we are in the, in the new creation, in, in the new heavens and new earth, uh, when our salvation is Perfect and complete. Yeah, glorified bodies. Yep, when we receive uh, resurrection. Come on now. And and glorified bodies. No more pain, no more tears. None of those things. And after that, so after that passage, uh, the application that Paul makes or the argument that he he concludes in, in verse 31 and following, he says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, I want to stop there for one second. If God, I want you to really to think about this. If God has given us his son, he has held nothing good back from us. So even in, in your life, you may think, and this may be difficult. I know there's people that are going through hard things. Uh, we want to recognize that. But I, I just want you to think about this. If God has given us his son, there is nothing good that he's holding back from us. There's nothing good that God is not giving us. There's nothing, he, there, there's no length that he's not willing to go in order to bring salvation and redemption to his people. There's, there's nothing good. Mm. We, we know that God has gone that far to purchase our salvation. So even in our, our daily lives, we know because we can look at the cross of Christ that God is dedicated to our good. Mm. Now, sometimes we go through hard things and those things are meant Mm. to shape us and guide us and to make us more like Christ. But we need to know that that comes from a place of God giving to us what is good. And sometimes what is good is what is hard because it grows us. Mm. Now I'm going to continue. That was a bit of a side note. That was good though. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's a question to think about for a while. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Here's the idea. If God has declared us righteous, who can look at us and say unrighteous or guilty? Mm. When we stand before the, the judgment seat of God and God makes a, the declaration that we are righteous in his sight because of Christ, who can point at us and say 
That declaration <clears throat> is wrong. Yeah, there's no more objectors. Satan has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated at the cross of Christ for those who believe in Jesus. Yep. So, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So we, Christ has died for us. He is pleading our case. We are being declared innocent. Nothing can overturn that verdict. That's the idea. All right, now here's, here's where we get really into the, the perseverance of the saints. Uh, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That's the question. Is there any of those things that can separate the Christian from the love of Christ? I want you to think about that list. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Now, we, we I, I assume that most of the people that are listening to this are Americans and are uh, Midwestern Americans around us. Now, I, I, I am able to see that we do have some foreign listeners. I don't know if those are bots or real people. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. Oh, but there is downloads <laughs> from other countries. But for us... Many of those things are foreign, but Paul, the apostle who writes this letter, experienced all of those yeah. things. And he can say with confidence that none of those things can separate the Christian from the love of Christ. Not tribulation, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not danger, not sword. There's nothing that can. You know, I think about our last semester of school. We read this book, wonderful book about uh, church history called mm -hmm. The Story of Christianity but there was a long section on, on martyrdom in the early church. So in the early church under the Roman Empire, there were a lot of people that were killed for their faith in Jesus. And when I used to think about martyrdom, I used to look inwardly and say, you know, if it came to that, would I, would I be able to, to put my head on the chopping block for the sake of Christ and my faith in him? Would I be able to do that? And one thing that the author of that book really highlighted and this was understood in the early church and in areas where martyrdom exists today but <sighs> martyrdom is not something that we do on our own it is something that god calls people to a as a witness for him and that he gives them the strength to endure if you read about famous martyrs of the church you will read amazing things and you will read of amazing courage and amazing strength uh um, amazing things and what you realize when you read those stories is that the strength that happens in those moments are supernaturally given mm. there is no human <coughs> strength that can stand up to that and and what's this was the part that really shocked me martyr martyrs in the early church were very highly loved and respected so there were people at that time that were almost seeking martyrdom they, they would seek it out because they wanted the fame the honor the glory mm. but when it came to actually be tested none of them would be able to stand god god and and what th the thing about that is and th this was the idea that was reinforced if god were to ever call someone to be a martyr first of all it's something that he calls people to 
Secondly, he gives them the strength to endure it. No one, uh, if anyone was seeking martyrdom, they weren't given that strength because they weren't called to it. Mm. But it, it was something in the early church that God would give the strength for the people if he was actually calling them to it. So I just think about this passage and, you know, 21st century American Christians were pretty <coughs> comfortable. Yeah. But we can think about these things and we, and we can ask ourselves, would I be able to do that if I was faced with that question? And what you need to understand is, one, it's not something that you should necessarily seek out. But if it is something that sometime in the future God calls you to, he will preserve you through it and give you the strength to endure it. So uh, we're, we're just, okay, we're going to continue. <laughs> Verse 36. A uh, quick I don't know if you, have you ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs? Yeah. You have? I have, yeah. I've never read it, but I heard yeah, it's that's pretty amazing. If, if you're interested in uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's written by a guy named John Fox yeah. in the 16th century in England. Uh, he goes through a lot of the martyrdoms in the early church. He goes through some of the martyrdoms in his day. But you will read some miraculous stories of courageous faith in Jesus to the point of death. And it's remarkable. Um, but I'm going to continue. So, after Paul asked that question, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, uh, will any of that separate us? Uh, the, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Verse 36, as it is written, um, and then he is quoting from Psalm 44, it says, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So, and, and Paul in his day, he was experiencing these things. That's yeah. what he's saying. He, he was experiencing these things. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more, excuse me, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all of creation, not angels, not rulers, not anything that's present, nothing to come, not any powers, not any powers of darkness. I think that's really what it's implying. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Th and if you think about John 10, again, think about that idea uh, that we are held in the hand of the Father and there is nothing that can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Yeah, what a joy. I want to like get into the applications, but I know you have a few more scriptures. Yeah, well, I, I just have a couple more. You know, I feel like we've hit on these passages a lot. Uh, th there are others. I, I'm just going to read uh, quickly 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Uh, it, says, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, again, just a similar idea. Uh, th this is, it's throughout the Bible. It's not just in a few passages, but we have an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable, unfading, it is kept there by God for us, and we are being guarded by God's power through faith for our final and full salvation, which will be revealed 
um, at the uh, on the last day at the final resurrection, uh, all, all of that good stuff. Um, so I mentioned that one. I'm going to mention just this is the last one briefly, but I think this kind of highlights. You know, we talked about how this is uh, for for those who have been truly born again. Uh, there are some who will walk away from the faith, who will have given the appearance of being born again, but actually were not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a verse that highlights that well is 1 John 2.19. John, in this letter, is dealing with some false teachers in the church, um, but he describes them. In verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So you can see kind of the distinction that John is making. He says the reason that these people, and the f- they were false teachers, that they went out from the, the Christian community is because they were not of the Christian community. <coughs> if they had been of the Christian community, they would have continued in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, you can think of it um, like this. Uh, in the church, you have the visible church, the people who profess faith in Christ, the people that like actually go to church. Um, but as that scripture states and as the rest of the scriptures witness that not everyone who professes, not everyone who goes to church is, is a part of the body of Christ is, is reborn is born again is regenerated. And so there's the visible church in which we see, but then there's the invisible church, which what I say by invisible church is that's those who are, are regenerate, born again, a part of the body of Christ. Um, and so the reality is the invisible and the visible church don't match perfectly with each individual, that there is some in the fold that are wolves. And the scriptures talk about that, especially in the New Testament. Um, you see that. So I just I think that distinction is helpful um, to highlight that. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, that's that's pretty much it for the, the passages we wanted to cover. Um, I hope you can see that in there. Uh, some practical applications, kind of what does this mean? Uh, what does this mean for our lives? Mm-hmm. Uh, w- the, the One of the big ones, the first one, is this means that we can have a lot. This this gives mm-hmm. us a lot of comfort. Yeah. Th- this gives us a lot of comfort. And if we're frank, we're people that need it. Yeah, like we, we do. need it bad. And you can go back to covenant signs and those purposes. And yeah, we, we, we need assurance. We need comfort. And, and God knows. God knows that. Yep. Yeah, and he's able to, to meet us in our need. Yep. Um, so this this is a, a doctrine that, uh, as you see, is laid out in Scripture. And I think part of the reason for that is to give us a sense of assurance of our salvation. And not an inward assurance, but an outward one. Yeah, uh, and an not assurance, an arrogant assurance. Yeah, an, assur- an assurance that is looking at Christ. Yeah. And, and like you said, not an arrogant assurance. Like this isn't an assurance that says, um, well, if this is true then I can do whatever I want now. It's not a, it's not an arrogant assurance like that. It is an assurance that rejoices in the fact that this is true. Mm-hmm. And because it rejoices in this and rejoices in the God who has revealed this, works heartily for the Lord in all things uh, and, and seeks to work out, you know, as Philippians 2 says, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And the second half of that verse, the, the mystery of all of this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah. So both things uh, working together. Both we are we are called to live godly lives, uh, and also to trust in God that He is doing good things in us, uh, that He is working in our hearts and minds to 
to change us and, and hopefully the people around us as mm-hmm. well. But yeah, one just practical application is this this should give us some assurance of salvation. Now that that also it doesn't mean that at every point throughout our lives we're gonna have complete confidence or or complete assurance or, or all of these things. That that may waver some as we go through hardships. Um, it, it may waver some even as we fall into certain sin. But the idea is that God is going to preserve us through all of those things. You know, if you think about, if you think about like walking, you know, just the Christian life, like walking down a long path, we, we know that as much as we stray from that path, God out of his, out of his love and sometimes his discipline is going to bring us back to that path. Mm-hmm. And even as we stray, even if we go through times and seasons of struggle and maybe doubt and other things, we can have assurance that God is going to bring us back onto that path and to reach the final destination that that path points yeah, to. Yeah, he, he almost, going with your analogy there, gives us a fence or bumpers. Um, yeah, we it's stu- like you're bowling with, uh, yeah. <laughs> with the bumpers on. Praise the yeah. Lord. <laughs> Strikes. <laughs> but that, yeah, that gives us great comfort. I thought of uh, Ephesians uh, one, I'm going to start in 13, but Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, um, it talks about, and you'll see this in other scriptures that the Holy spirit is the guarantee or the down payment, um, for our salvation. Um, so Ephesians one verse 13 in him, you were, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so you see there the regeneration that comes by the Holy Spirit is your down payment that you will take full possession of your glorification. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, yeah, I've, I've mentioned on here. I like to, I've kind of been learning Greek a bit, but I, oh boy, here we yeah, go. Right. <laughs> you know, bear just enough me. to be dangerous. I know, but bear with me. So I can go online, I can look up the Greek New Testament, and I can click on words, and they will literally give me a dictionary definition of them. So if I go to this passage, I can look up this word, uh, which in the Greek it is, uh, we translate it in English as the guarantee of our inheritance. So I'm, I'm gonna, I have it clicked on, I'm going to read the actual definition. Uh, the word is erobone, and, and it's a it's a commercial uh, and and legal term. But here's the definition. I'm just reading this right off of BibleWebAppApp.com. An earnest, a money which in purchases is given as a pledge or down payment that the full amount will subsequently be paid. So if you think about that, now Paul Paul knows what this word means and he's using it uh, to describe the way the spirit is given to us. Now, modern times, you would think about this. Let's say, and hopefully this is a reality sometime in the in the future, but let's say I were to go and buy a house. And we know what happens when you buy a house is the first thing you do is you put down a down payment on it or an earnest. And the idea there is that you give a sum of money, which is a pledge or a promise that you're going to give the full sum of money at a later date. So here's what this is saying. As we live in this world and the gospel is preached to us and we believe uh, the spirit is given to us as a seal of our redemption and is given to us as a guarantee of our inheritance or as a down payment 
of our inheritance, which is in heaven. So the idea is that the spirit is given to us in some measure now Mm -hmm. as a promise or a pledge that we are going to have the fullness of the inheritance of the spirit at a later date, which is in in heaven, Mm -hmm. which is when we're glorified. So we experience the spirit now, which is pointing us to the fullness of the spirit that we will experience in heaven with glorified bodies where we are no longer able to sin and where we are able actually because of Christ to stand in the presence Mm. of Holy God, to stand in the presence of Holy God. So this is a promise and a pledge, uh, of the fullness of the spirit and of the fullness of our inheritance in heaven with God. Yeah. Amen. I'm just drawing out the logical conclusions here. So we say that rebirth and being born again and and bearing the Holy spirit is, is a, a seal or a sign or a guarantee of your salvation and that you will be glorified on the last day. Um, and we say that God perseveres or preserves us throughout that time in our, in our wilderness wandering here on earth so then how do we know if we've been born again? And that's my question to you. How do we know that we bear the Holy Spirit? How do we have this assurance? How do you know uh, that you're a sheep and you've heard Jesus's voice? Um, yeah, that's yeah. my question to you. That's a good question. I didn't know this was a Q&A, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's a good question. You know, we've, we've talked about this before. Um, well, I just don't it, want, like, it can be easy to lay out this doctrine and be, and people yeah. see it in scripture and it's like, oh, then I'm, then I'm saved, but we don't want to give any false assurance because that would, that'd be a tragedy. Someone, and that happens if yep. people think that they're Christians, they think that they're saved and they, they die or they get to the last day when Christ comes and they are told like in Matthew seven, like I didn't know you. And they had thought their whole life they knew Christ and they had salvation and they didn't. And so we don't want to give any false assurance. So how do we know? Yeah, well, one, I think we should establish the idea that it is possible to know. Yeah. Be- because yeah, that yeah. is something that's been rejected. Um, and that like is, I, you, yeah, go ahead. I, th- I talked about the the Roman Catholic Church at the Council of Trent in 1546 rejected that idea that you can certainly know that you are, have salvation. You know, if you think about, you know, Islam is another world religion, a uh, major world religion. They teach that you can never have assurance of, of salvation like yeah. this. But I just want to read from 1 John 5.13. It says, and this is with reference to the whole letter, what's come before, but he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So because of Christ and because of what John's been laying out in this in this short letter, we, we can have assurance of, of faith and um, we can have knowledge of our salvation and we can have confidence before God. Uh, so first of all, just establishing that we can have those. That's not to say that we always will mm-hmm. or that it's going to look perfect. Uh, but we, we can, you know, you know, have assurance of faith. Uh, and I, I encourage you even just to do a word search of the word assurance uh, throughout the New Testament and, and see this idea. Um, as for how we will know these things, well, we do need to do some introspection, you know, I think of the end of I think it's the end of Second <coughs> Corinthians. Paul says to the church there to examine yourself to mm-hmm. test whether you are in the faith. So these these are important things to look at. Um, I think you know there's there's a number of ways um, 
But, you know, one thing that we should notice, you know, we, we talk about regeneration and rebirth. One thing we should notice uh, is maybe there's a particular time in our lives where there was a great shift mm. in what we love, what we desire, what we cherish, uh, going from, you know, you know, Romans 6, Paul says, you were once slaves of sin, now you've become slaves of righteousness. So, like, like thinking about in what ways have I, formerly being a slave of sin, in what ways have I been made new uh, by the Spirit and become a slave of righteousness? Yeah, how, like how, how have you seen in your life God, God work? And that ultimately gets back to the fruit. Jesus says you can tell a tree by its fruit, good or bad. And that's not to say that we're perfect or sinless, but the Christian life should look like one of continually growing and bearing fruit for God's kingdom, growing in your love for him, um, growing in your love for your neighbor. I mean, ultimately, that's the two greatest commandments, to love God and love your neighbor. And throughout your Christian life, you should be growing. And, and might have, it's slow yep. and, and it's small oftentimes, but you should see a progression of that. And so you can tell if you're a Christian by your fruit. Yep. Do you love sin and cherish sin more than you love God and cherish God over a long period of time? And now there there is times when we sin greatly. I think of David and his adultery that he committed with Bathsheba, having a kid, and then committing murder. I'm guessing right after that, he did not have great assurance uh, mm -hmm. of where he stood before God. And so our sinfulness and, and particularly like big raven sins um, may lead to, to doubts of if you really are a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think one of the things you said too, like, just one of the one of the biggest questions you got to ask, mm -hmm. because being being a Christian is not just about moral reformation. It's not just about you know, am I doing the good things that I'm supposed to be doing? Did I stop doing the bad things that I'm not supposed to do? Yeah. But you actually need to ask yourself this question: Do I love the Lord God? Do I love God? Do I do I hate sin? Th those are two really important questions. What is my attitude towards God? What is my attitude towards sin? Um, yeah, th th those are good questions. I mean, just <coughs> just look at your... T take take an inventory of your life. Take a look at it. Also, j just by reading the scriptures, um, I think assurance can begin to grow as well. Mm -hmm. Like the more that you make use of spiritual disciplines like reading the scriptures and spending time in prayer and, and being around Christians mm -hmm. and uh, going to church and listening to preaching and all these things like the, the idea being that the spirit of God is working through these means to bring about growth in you. And part of that should come with some level of assurance of faith mm -hmm. and, and, and some level of uh, greater love for God, greater devotion to God, a greater repentance of sin and um, moral changes in your life. Mm. Like it, it really should. Anything you want to add James at all to that? Um, I'm just looking at point B here. Um, so kind of what Jackson was laying out there was like the doctrine of sanctification. And what we mean by that is growing in, in Christ likeness. And the point Jackson was making is oftentimes when you use sanctification, um, people think of just moral reform and mm -hmm. doing less bad and more good, but really 
the process of sanctification and sanctity is being set apart with greater devotion to God. Mm-hmm. Which which brings moral reformation. Correct, yeah. But it starts inwardly and from the heart. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's really aimed at a love for God. Uh, and, that, and that's really what... Like, we do things because we love something. Yep. Like, we act out of our own desires and our own loves. So what we need is not just to love sin less, but we need to love God more. Yeah, we were created as worshipers. Yep. And, and because we're made in the image of God, he created us in such a way. And so we are always worshiping something. Uh, now we want it to be the one and true living God, but sometimes we fall and worship other things, and that's a good thing. What am I worshiping today? Mm-hmm. Look at your fruit of your life and, and think about that question. Yeah. I don't know how far, how long we've gone, but we probably got to wrap up soon. Yeah, well, I think, I think we've covered everything pretty well. I mean, ultimately, we want, we see this doctrine in the scripture. It gives us great comfort and joy. But what it should lead to in the applications is we should praise God that he is going to bring us to the end and that our salvation is secure. And what that does to the way that we live, we should be able to live sold out lives for the gospel. We should be able to freely go like i think of one of our friends about to go on missions Mm -hmm. uh, across the world and she can do that because she has a hope that's beyond this world yeah and 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 comfort and assurance of god's promises yeah yeah so that you know that's that's an introductory uh covering of of the perseverance of the saints encourage you guys to look into it more yeah Um, i hope this spurs on thought i hope that we also hope that like we, and gosh, we have the tendency to do this. I I know I do, but I have the tendency to take in all this information and I love to study and I love to learn things, but I I have a tendency to have disconnect between what I know and the way that I live. Mm -hmm. And part of this podcast too, just for us and for you, for you guys listening is not just to bring to you uh, some sort of theological knowledge that's going to uh, puff puff you up as Paul says in Corinthians but but actually to give you knowledge from the scriptures that is meant to change you from the inside out and to give you assurance and hope and to get you to look not <coughs> at yourself but to look at God transformation and, and his goodness yeah, yeah yeah really to to have it hit home yeah so if you know Jackson personally and, and myself I'll get thrown <laughs> into that uh, you can hold us accountable now that he said that yeah, you definitely can. <laughs> we, we, we would welcome that, yeah. even if it's difficult sometimes. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, that should be it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you guys have questions, yeah, please go to that um, link. I'm going to try to leave it in the description. And please feel free to ask them. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to uh, an episode where we have some good questions and we can interact with some different thoughts and yeah. we can kind of press into some, some of these things, hopefully a little bit deeper. Because yep. I think those things do expand our understanding. So, yeah, we want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, Yeah, we pray that you would be blessed wherever you are and uh, that this podcast has been a blessing to you. So thanks again. We hope we see you again soon.